Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of The Dreaded Question. I'm your host, Lily Torre, and I'm thrilled to welcome back a TDQ favorite, Jen Waldman. Jen reached out a couple weeks ago and mentioned that she had an idea that she wanted to share with TDQ's listeners, and I was immediately so excited. Today, Jen is unpacking a framework that she's developed to help small businesses pivot their offerings to suit our current circumstances and needs. She'll be utilizing this framework in a workshop that she's calling Pivot with Purpose. As more information becomes available on her workshop, I will definitely be sure to share it with you. But for now, here's a taste of the idea from the one and only Jen Waldman. So, Jen Waldman, how are you? I'm doing actually quite well, Lily. Thank you for asking. You're welcome for asking, and I'm glad to hear that you are well. I feel like how are you is a very simple and basic but generous question that we don't often take the asker up on their generosity, and we often will respond with things like busy or fine, but I'm happy to hear that you are well. And especially in this time, I feel very fortunate and very privileged to be well in this time. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm also like kind of chuckling inside because our mutual friend and my podcast co-host, Peter Shepard, often imitates the American accent asking that question. And he goes, how are you? How are you? Oh, I love that. I love a good attempt at an American accent. Um, We've often imitated his, so I'm sure it's overdue that he imitates ours. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for coming back on TDQ yet again to grace us with your brilliance. And you approached me about coming back on to discuss a topic that you've been noodling on, which I'm so excited about. This is true. So a little context, over the last couple weeks, I have been having lots of meetings with business owners, mostly small business owners. Sometimes by small business, I mean a couple people on a team, and sometimes it's several dozen people on a team. And some of these organizations are in the arts and some are not. And I find that no matter the industry, I'm basically having the same conversation over and over and over again, asking and answering the same questions over and over and over again as it relates to what do I do with my business in this moment. And the reason I reached out to you is because I know that because of what your podcast is about, how to create a parallel career, you probably have a lot of listeners who have taken the ideas they've heard over the last two seasons, created a business, and are now asking the same questions as my clients. So I thought, oh, this would be a good way for me to help some of Lily's audience to figure out how to navigate forward through this. Well, thank you. That is incredibly generous. And I definitely appreciate that because you're absolutely right. I get wonderful messages from people all the time saying, listening to TDQ inspired me to start a parallel career of my own. And so this is such a wonderful angle to approach an episode from in this time of really giving a little bit more support and answering some of the difficult questions that come with being a business owner in this time. So thank you for thinking of that and for generously sharing with us today. 
It's really my pleasure to do so because ultimately I would love to see artists running all of the businesses on this planet. <laughs> and so <laughs> if this too. is one small step in that direction, I'm happy to contribute. And also I'm now at a point where I, as a business owner, am on the other side of the changes that we've made at the studio and I can quantify the process that we have gone through. Yes. So it's, it's not theory. It's actually practice at this point. And then ultimately my dream of dreams is that the theater industry will come together and go through this process as a unified whole to create our next steps for our industry. I love to hear it. That is a wonderful idea. And I think by each of us going through this process individually on the other side of this, if and when theaters are able to reopen, we will then be in a place where we've already done this for ourselves and the lens that we're looking through. And then collectively, we can all go through this together to better our industry and make something we can all be proud of. Indeed. Indeed. Love this idea. Love this noodle. So I also just want to backtrack for a quick second in case anybody's wondering what it looks like for you to have gone through this process with JWS. Jen is referring to JWS Online, which started this week. I am a student and taught a class this week at JWS Online, and it was the best week ever. It's not even over yet. I'm already saying that, but it was. it's been very inspiring, and I'm just so impressed with how quickly, swiftly, and through a purpose-driven lens, you were able to make such an enormous transition. So congratulations. Thank you. It was a lot of work, but it was not hard. Yeah. Well, again, this is another reason to approach your career with purpose because I think big decisions like that become a lot easier when they're looked at through a lens of purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. So for a little context, I can share what the studio looks like right now, and then we can back it up and follow the yellow brick road to this moment in time. Perfect. Okay. So what it looks like now is we are operating an online live and virtual training studio, primarily for theater artists who are joining us from literally all over the world. It's so inspiring. It's amazing. I was blown away because we didn't do very much marketing at all to reach an audience outside of our current audience. I thought, oh, we'll keep this small right? to like get a good foundation under us. So I have no idea how people found <laughs> us, but yep. We've got an international cohort going on. The power of leaking the content. <laughs> True. And so I'm dying to know, what are some of the questions that you've been getting from these clients and what's some of the work that you've been doing? Okay. So the questions are, should I even be doing this anymore? Is there any way I will survive this? Do people even have money right now? Is what I'm doing even important? It's all existential crisis questions. Oh, yes. And I think maybe what might be useful, because I could probably answer them and integrate it into sort of like, what is the actual process to go through? So yeah, let's just like start at the beginning 
And I'll just keep using myself as an example because I've been there, but know that I'm not the only example. And there are, of course, plenty of other people who do this differently. So for me, you know, I follow the work of Simon Sinek, the concept of start with why, the idea of advance a just cause. And so that was the first thing I went to is what is my why? What is the studio's why? And what is our just cause? And clarity around your why or your purpose and your just cause or the vision that you are seeking to advance for a better future, the key to that is it's not specific to your product or service. Your product or service happens to deliver on that, but you could deliver on that in any number of ways. So I know for me that the why behind the studio is to create a safe space for artists who need to express themselves. So it's how do we help people better know themselves so that they can express themselves? So that's the why of the studio. And we were doing that with our hows in place of build the empathy bridge, connect the dots. Some of you may have heard me say these things before. You know, we have five hows. And so I was looking at that going, okay, I still intend to help people better know themselves so that they can better express themselves. And it's not like I'm abandoning empathy or creativity or truth-telling. So then I started asking myself, what does empathy mean right now? Because a couple weeks ago, what empathy meant was I need to understand where theater artists who are in New York City are coming from. It was audition season when we closed. Mm -hmm. So what were those audition season artists feeling. They were feeling like they were in too large of groups of people. They were feeling like they weren't really being seen. They were feeling like nobody trusted them to be excellent and amazing. So what empathy looked like at the in-person studio was small groups. You are trusted as a brilliant artist and you are free to express yourself. But empathy in this moment is People don't want the small group. They want a community. They want connection. People need to feel like they have structure in their lives. Yes. People need to feel like what they are learning has broader application. So that's what empathy looks like for us right now. So basically, I went through all of our hows and asked myself, in these given circumstances, what do these things look like? So that really helped to like set a course for how we might move the studio. And then the other thing is when I'm building something, I practice the Sondheim rules, which are less is more, God is in the details, and content dictates form. So I was thinking about like what sort of content do we want to bring to people knowing what their needs are and what their problems are right now. And Obviously, we have the constraint of it's got to be online. Right. But working with that constraint and the idea that I want broader content, more applicable in other situations, other industries content, that helped to define the form, which is really, it's almost like an online conservatory program right now where people are really going is. to like six classes a week or six different subjects seven different subjects a week. Yes. It's absolutely like that. And I'm curious too, with the Sondheim rules, less is more. I'm curious how that plays into this because in some ways 
I mean, it is a lot of class offerings and it's a lot more people. So I'm curious how that's translated into this. Yes. Okay. So here's how I have interpreted less is more in, in terms of the online studio. So we've reduced class length. So at the in-person studio, classes were three to four hours for nine, eight or nine people. Right. So these have a strict 60-minute format. And in our classes in person at the studio, one of the things we were trying to do was avoid telling people how to work and exactly what to learn unless it was a prescriptive class, like preparing a role or script analysis or something like that. Right. But instead sort of like let people find their own way. But what we decided is we are going to pick one main idea per class. So there are a million things to learn about movement, but what is the one thing that we're going to teach over the course of four one-hour sessions? So the other thing, which I think has been critical to the students' enjoyment of this experience is we're practicing something I call find the rhyme. Yes. Where instead of learn a million different things and then be drowning in ideas, we're streamlining all of the learnings so that we're learning not less, but we're we're learning in a more focused way with a deeper sense of how it all goes together. Absolutely. It's like a a focus on the center of the Venn diagram of Mm -hmm. all of these things. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast that focusing on the center of the Venn diagram of things is a great way to avoid overwhelm when having a parallel career, having multiple what's to your why, if you will. And I absolutely, you're so right. The less is more absolutely applies to a one hour class time instead of four because four hours on Zoom per class would be unsustainable and definitely not acknowledging the medium that you're working in. So you're totally spot on on that. And something I love about what you were saying before about applying empathy to updating your business model for our circumstances is that an idea that I've been obsessed with recently, which is that empathy is business. Business is empathy. Mm -hmm. Empathy is being able to understand the needs of other people. And that's exactly what business is. And then business just tries to solve that problem. And I think that that's such an important point because empathy is considered a soft skill, or as I know you like to say, a real skill. But it's something that a lot of artists think like, yeah, yeah, I'm an artist, I'm empathetic, like cool, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with business. It's so true. And that actually is a beautiful segue into the next step of once you've identified your purpose and your values, and you've practiced your Sondheim rules in order to land on a sort of broad stroke what... So what is it? Oh, it's an online studio that has these kinds of offerings. Then here's the empathy part. You must validate your idea with the audience that is ultimately going to be served or not by it. And so what I did was I got a bunch of people who I'd call staples at the studio, (laughs) people who are like JWSers to the core, got them on a Zoom call, proposed my idea And they were like, no, that's not what we need or that's not how we need it right now. Because originally we were thinking one-off classes as opposed to a series of classes. And they said, no, what we need right now 
is a community which you have defined as a group of people who choose to learn and grow together. Yes. So we want to be in a group that chooses to learn and grow together and that there's consistency in the community over the course of a class cycle. So that was incredible feedback. And I was in no way offended by it. In fact, I welcomed it because what I want to do ultimately is give them what they need instead of what I think they need. So validating your ideas with people in your audience who are the diehard followers is a critical step because that's where you're going to get all the nuance. Right. Yeah. I You actually answered my next question, which was going to be, how did you feel when you received that feedback? But I love that you felt encouraged by it or inspired by it because that shows a true commitment to the people that you seek to serve. If you, you know, were offended by that feedback and said, well, that, that was the idea that I came up with and I think it's a good one and that's what I want to do, then that doesn't reflect a commitment to your who's it for. Exactly. And so this practice empathy, empathy is business. You might decide that you have a great idea and then you bring it to market and it doesn't move at all on the market. And the question is why you didn't validate it. Exactly. And it can be hard. I mean, I felt a little bit of that with with base this season, recognizing that once auditions weren't happening anymore, moving forward as if nothing was happening and just saying like, well, here's the next episode of base. See you never was not exactly what my audience needed. But I was very attached to those episodes and I was very attached to that idea. But once I took one week to take a step back and get out some more relevant content, I was able to then look at those episodes with a fresh eye again, see their relevance, and then just re-record an intro and outro to help listeners find the relevance. And then those that content was still completely viable and I was able to share it and actually ended up being really happy with it. But if I had just stuck to my guns and posted it because that's what I had already decided I was going to do, that wouldn't have served my audience in the way that I seek to serve them. So true. And what's so interesting about this season of base is that it is such a time capsule of a moment where you really feel the world change in the middle of the season. That being said, so many of the ideas from the early part of base are representative of the world that we now have the ability to create if we choose. Yes, I love that. So this is a great time to go back and listen to base again. It's true. And think about it through the lens of our new world and how we might apply them to the industry that we seek to create. So true, which again, great segues, Lily, because the (laughs) next step in this, how do you pivot your business with purpose, which we'll talk about, is set the vision. So once you, the business owner, really have clarity and the people you are seeking to serve have said, yes, we really need that. That was the moment where I went to the team again and said, okay, this is it. This is the vision. This is what we're building toward. This is our why. This is our cause. These are our values. And then I set in place a, essentially like a directive, Mm -hmm. The things have to meet these criteria in order to be greenlit. And for us, it was a super simple criteria, which was high value, high volume, low cost. Yes. 
And if those three things were not able to be present in each idea we had, it wasn't going to make the cut because the only way we can keep costs low is to keep volume high. But the only way I'm willing to keep volume high is if the value is even higher. Absolutely. And I, I definitely feel like all of the classes that are part of JWS online really meet that criteria. And, you know, as part of the high value, I feel like part of what that requires is an acknowledgement of the medium in which it exists. And I feel like I'm referencing this blog post every week on this podcast now, but Peter Shepard's blog post about not trying to recreate in-person experiences, but trying to create a new experience in this medium that you are now forced to be on, in this case, Zoom, to really make it a better experience because it was on Zoom. I think that's such a great lens to look at. And I assume that's part of what you were thinking of when evaluating value. Yeah. So one of the things I said to our team when we had the, this is the vision, this is the direction we're headed meeting is I have no interest in creating a Band-Aid right now. Right. I am not looking for a three-month solution and then we're going to go back to the way things were. In fact, this moment has presented us an incredible opportunity to become aware of the other ways we could be in service of our community. And so the idea is whatever we build, we have no intention of closing it when the in-person studio opens. In fact, we will be running two businesses simultaneously when the studio reopens. They will feed each other. They will be complementary. But what it's done is it has allowed us to keep our New York audience, but this international audience, which we now have, we will remain in service of them. We will not abandon them when our space becomes available to us again. So this is something that keeps coming up with all of the business clients that I have is seek to create something that you believe in so much you have no intention of letting it go. And it reminds me so much of the way you talk about a parallel career where it's like, you'll know because if you get the call that like you got your Broadway show, you would never dream of relinquishing this part of your life right? because it's so integrated with who you are. Exactly. And I think too, that this idea of creating something that you love so much that you want to keep on the other side of this, I think that's the main way to tackle sort of the overwhelm. I think a lot of people are feeling like, what, so I have to rehaul my business, you know, completely overhaul my business for the next few months, and then I'll go back to the way things were. And yeah, that does sound really overwhelming to adopt a completely different business model for a couple months and then go back to your old business model. So what if you were adding an additional business model to the way that you get your mission and message out there? And I think that's a lot more inspiring both for you as the business owner and the people who work for you, but also for your audience. Like you said, you have all of these, we have, you guys, there are so many people from all over the world being part of JWS online right now. It's amazing. And you know, how is it fair to them to be like, okay, great. Well, we served you for two months or three months or six months, however long this ends up being, but see you never. Like that's not very inspiring for them either. No. And in fact, I mean, what a betrayal. Thanks for coming in at the most challenging moment in the history of our business. We're now abandoning you. No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So 
after the commitment to create something worth keeping, then comes the brainstorming part, which is for some people really daunting because when you enter a brainstorming or ideation phase, there's a pressure to like come up with the one right idea. So what I did was I borrowed from the Peter Shepard playbook (laughs) and got the whole team on the call and said, okay, so this is what we're doing. Now your assignment is to send me no fewer than 15 ideas. Yes. For the new online studio. And at the time, I thought I was giving that directive really to the teachers. But what was amazing is that our community captains were on the call. They each sent me 15 ideas. My operations person, Jake, who is like a rock for me, he was on the call. He sent 15 ideas. It was like, Every, Allie, who is sort of like my my right hand gal when thinking about like marketing and social media and all that good stuff and future podcasts that we're creating, yes. uh, she sent me fifteen ideas. It was just amazing. So now I've got a hundred ideas at least to work with because everybody's been given permission to come up with at least 15 ideas. And I think I also said to them, it doesn't matter if they're ridiculous, like make them outrageous, make them ridiculous. But now I have so much to choose from. So now with our directives in mind, with our vision, our just cause, our why, our hows in mind, I can pick the things that best go together to serve this audience and serve this new model. So after the brainstorm, it was really like, now it's back on me, the owner to decide which of these things we're doing. So made the decision. And then we started entering into the new business model conversation, which you brought up a a moment ago, which I think is really, really important. The business model for our in-person studio is very stable because we have a finite number of seats. Right. And so, you know, the teachers get paid what they get paid because the number of students in their class isn't changing. And the number of hours that we can physically use one room isn't changing. So that's really stable. But a business model for an online virtual program with, I guess you could say, infinite possibilities, you can't apply a brick and mortar business model to an online business. Right. So then we had to completely blow up the business model and start from scratch. And I know for me, I very much wanted to take care of the teachers because I care about them, but also because without them, I wouldn't be able to build this thing. So we decided to do something that we would never be able to do in our in-person model, which is create a profit sharing model where we set the threshold of profitability for the online business. And then once it crosses that threshold, I mean, you got to experience this because you taught a class this month, once it crosses that threshold, everybody gets a cut of the profits. It doesn't all go into my pockets or the studio's bank account because we really have the opportunity to scale this thing. And I want to make sure that the teachers are incentivized to promote each other's classes, that we don't have any popularity contests going on. Because you know, when you only have eight people in a class, you're never going to find out who the favorite teacher is. Right. Right. (laughs) But when you could have 100, 200 people in a class and maybe like 10 in another, I don't want the person who has 10 to be penalized for having a super specialized topic. So we moved into this profit sharing model. That is so smart. 
And it really speaks to your values and the way that you see business, the way that you see the teachers who work at JWS and that taking care of your teachers was such a high priority to you is, of course, no surprise to me, but is very encouraging and very inspiring. Okay, so the next step, Lily, is the new customer acquisition model. Ooh, yes. Because in the 15 years or so that I've been operating JWS NYC, I've never had to worry about acquiring new customers because I have a wait list of over a thousand people. Wow. (laughs) Thousand people. That's crazy. It's insane. But in an online business, you do have to focus on how you're going to bring new people in and continue to grow. One of the things that immediately caught my attention as a concern is we have done such an incredible job over the years of bringing a like-minded group of people together. Yes. And I did not want to in any way, I didn't want to jeopardize it. I didn't want to tarnish it. I didn't want to degrade our integrity. Right. So we allowed the people in our community to be what in the corporate world would be the customer acquisition software. We just decided to use human beings who speak to other human beings who they already know. And so we created this program that we call the Community Builder Rewards, which the original idea was if someone signs up for a month of classes and references you, you will receive a credit equal to half of the tuition for the month. But we're not looking for volume. So there could be 20 people who come in and you're still going to get the one credit for the month. And then Priya, who has been on your show before, I believe. Yes. Who is one of our community captains said, well, Jen, what if I wanted to give my credit as a gift? Of course, Priya said that. And I was like, Priya, the proof is in the Priya. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. And again, this is that idea of validate your idea with the people who are going to be using it. And so Priya said, no, that isn't the way I would want to do this. She shared her idea. We implemented it. And then as a result, we had a bunch of people receive totally as a surprise to them gifts from their friends. Yeah. Please join me in this learning experience and here's a gift so you only pay half. I mean, how amazing is that? I love that so much. And I think that's so special. And especially right now, because everyone's financial situations are so different. Some Mm -hmm. people have completely lost all sources of income. And some people who are already working remotely are doing pretty okay. So giving that opportunity to do something generous in this time like that is uh, a delicious gift in and of itself. I agree. I'm so grateful to Priya for speaking up and saying, I think there's a better way to do this. And then ultimately, once you've got some preliminary version figured out, once you understand the structure, you must execute on it immediately. Like no waiting, no, let's see what else we can come up with. It's like, we've got to get moving right now because every day that you wait is a day your audience is waiting. Yes. And it's not fair to them. And especially like, here's some I've learned so many lessons through through this, but one of them is you can't hack the building of trust. It happens cumulatively over a long period of time, 
but you can destroy trust in the blink of an eye. Oh, that's so true. And so if I am the kind of person who believes you should preach what you practice, if I'm going to be meeting with all these small business owners and sharing ideas about how to move their business forward, I need to have practiced it already. Right. So get moving is the next step. And then, of course, everything is going to have what um, Brene Brown calls a fucking first time or love it. You know, we love an FFT <laughs> or we in the studio call a zero draft and some people call it a shitty first draft. Yes. The first time out, it's going to be wobbly. And this is one of the reasons why I was like, we have to reward people for being part of the earliest version of this. Like we are going to reward our early adopters. We ultimately are going to move to a tiered pricing model. But the people who were here in these first two months, April, and you know we're about to announce the May classes, mm-hmm. that group, they'll be grandfathered in because right. they deserve it. They took a chance. They stepped into the unknown. We're calling them our architects of possibility. It was a phrase that woke me up in the middle of the night. I love it. And I, I really believe that in a moment of crisis, you want to reward people who are truly in it with you for the long haul. Yes. And I think a lot of people are feeling this impulse right now. And some people are allowing that to manifest in free offerings. Ooh. Yes. I don't mean to be a jerk with that sound. (laughs) (laughs) No, I feel like it was actually very visceral and supportive because I'm going to put words in your mouth right now. I'm going to assume that you meant that people deserve to be paid for their work and their brilliance. And it's not a time, it's not necessarily empathetic to help other people out by devaluing yourself. And I think that that is maybe where the idea of offering things for free is coming from in an attempt to be empathetic, but I think it's a little bit misguided. I could not agree with you more, Lily. I think it is extremely misguided. Now, I am no way suggesting that you don't figure out something to offer for free, But what I feel uh, that visceral response is coming from watching people take their paid offerings, which are worth more than they're already charging for them, and devaluing them to zero or even a reduced rate. Because once you do that, you are claiming that that is the value of your product or your service. And I really believe you'll have a hard time ever getting it back to what it was. So I've been advising some people who have coaching practices, as an example, mm-hmm. who let's let's just for even numbers sake, a lesson with them or a coaching session with them would be $100 an hour prior to COVID-19. Right. And they would come to me and say, I, you know, I'm worried my clients don't have any money for this. So I'm going to reduce my fees by half. It'll be $50 for the 60 minutes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's instead change the scope and associate a new fee with the new service. So if you think that your clients are able to contribute $50 toward an hour with you, what does a group coaching look like? Right. So this is a new product, a new new scope, still high value, but lower cost. But once you say my one-hour lessons are $50 – how are you going to charge someone $100 for them if that's really where they need to be priced? So another thing I've been thinking about 
in terms of reduced or no cost offerings is to consider a service like Zoom. So I right now am paying Zoom so much money, it's actually ridiculous because I have multiple Zoom rooms. I have large capacity meetings. I right. I have many, many gigs of recording in their cloud. So mm-hmm. my Zoom is v- extremely expensive. And by the way, thank you, Zoom. I am so happy to pay you because your service is valuable to me. I couldn't run my business without it. Right. But Zoom also is aware that their services are needed in, for example, public school systems. And so they give free licenses to those schools. Right. Now, that's a great way to take your offering, move it to a new audience that could be benefited by it, but would never have been able to participate and offer a free version. So if you are a leadership coach, for example, and you want to offer free coachings to heads of emergency rooms right now, by all means, that's a great way to create a free offering. Yes. Being intentional with who you are offering this to for free and making it clear that there is a reason that you are offering it to them specifically for free at this time. And the other thing you can consider going back to the Simon Sinek golden circle idea is if you want to create free offerings, focus on offerings that reference the why and the what. Mm -hmm. And then charge, because you should, for the how, which is your process, your framework, your ideas, your special sauce. So like as an example, we can use this podcast as an example. So the why behind this episode right now is small business owners can understand that there's possibility everywhere and they can pivot with purpose. That's the why. So that they can pivot with purpose. So what is it? I'm telling you, it's a framework. It's a framework of steps that you can take in order to pivot with purpose. If you want me to walk you through those steps as they relate specifically to your business, how am I going to do this, Jen? Well, that's something that I would absolutely be charging for either as a one-on-one or in a small group, or workshops, which, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I'm intending to deliver. And I won't at all feel guilt about charging for them because they are so high value. And ultimately, if people implement these practices in their business, it will positively impact their bottom line. So it can also positively impact my bottom line. Exactly. And, you know, that requires a certain level of faith in what you have to offer and a certain level of faith in the person that you are offering it to. This actually, if I could drop one more idea in here, please, because this goes back to the clients who have been saying, what does it even matter? Like, why am I even doing Mm this? You know, I'm not a physician. I'm not an emergency care provider. Like, why am I even existing right now? And I think there are a great series of questions you can ask yourself about this existential crisis, which begins with, prior to a crisis, what did I think I was doing? Or what was I trying to do? Not like I made a podcast. We know that you made a podcast. What were you trying to do? What did you think you were doing? Because that clarity, if you can answer that question with clarity, it will help guide you toward a future way to try to do something similar, at least impact wise. And then the other question that I find to be really useful is, 
if your business disappears right now, poof, it's gone, what is lost? What is lost for other people? And this is one of the reasons why it never occurred to me to make JWS online free because we would cease to exist as a company. And then what would be lost? An artistic home, a safe space, a community of like-minded people, teachers who believe that you're amazing and don't need you to prove it. I mean, that would be lost. Yeah. So being able to articulate that helps you understand why you exist. Yeah. And, and why you need to keep moving forward and why you deserve to be paid money for your offering. And you know, of course, I understand that this can be a, a time of overwhelm for people, but checking in with that purpose is definitely what will keep you going. And that actually makes me think of a question that I wanted to ask you earlier. When you decided to close the studio and started to consider other options, did you go through a grieving period at all? No. And this might be why some of some people very close to me say that I have a cold heart. It's not that my heart is cold. It's it's that of course I I miss the in person, but at the at the end of the day, I measure my success by the number of aha moments mm-hmm. that I help people to have or that I have myself. And through this entire process of closing and re envisioning and then building every moment has been an aha process. So I actually feel so much more successful, like my definition of success right now than I did a month ago. Yeah. So I grieve other things that we've lost, but the in-person studio is not one of them because I also believe that when we are permitted to congregate in small groups again, this group that we are cultivating online, those who can participate in person will. Like I don't have fear about losing people right now to the business, I mean. Yeah, and and what I think that also speaks to is that you are not you are not attached to your what. You're not that's not the thing that really fuels you. What what fuels you is your why and mm-hmm. So having to alter what the what looks like isn't as devastating. And, you know, and I also think because for you, this, you know, this isn't the first time that you've pivoted in some way. And it makes me think of Kyle Branzell, who was like the third or fourth guest ever on TDQ. And we called his episode Pivoting with Purpose. Wait, 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 wait. Lily. <laughs> The workshop that I am about to start running is called Pivot with Purpose. Not pivoting with purpose, but pivot with purpose. Yes. Well, I mean, to me, what that says is that you have employees at your studio who are so unbelievably in alignment with you that you basically have the same brain. And, (laughs) you know, Kyle had already... He'd already gone through this. He already had to pivot with purpose when he pivoted from his acting career to now teaching and directing. Mm-hmm. And you you did the same when you pivoted from your acting career to teaching and directing. So for you, again, that attachment to the what isn't really there as much. And I think that that's one of the the strengths that, again, comes from the way that you approach your your life and your business. I do have to... Shout out Simon Sinek yet again, because it was his work that helped me to see that I grabbing onto your what's so tightly is really robbing yourself of serendipity and opportunity and growth mindset. 
Absolutely. Okay, so I just want to run back through the steps that we discussed. Look at your why and your just cause. Well, I would say there's one step before that, which is decide. Decide you're doing this. Ooh, a very important first step that I missed. Decide. Then look at your why and your just cause. Then filter that through an empathetic posture and determine if that's truly what your audience needs. And within that, checking in with your audience to make sure. Then set the vision. Make it clear for everyone who's working with you where you're going and what you're doing and why you're doing it. I'm loving hearing you recite this back to me. So I kind of feel like I want to sit back. (laughs) Well, and then it's some form of just do it. (laughs) Sorry, Nike. But don't wait and make it happen. And that was one thing I did want to say is how unbelievably impressed I am with how quickly you turn this around. I know I said it earlier today, but I, even when you told me about this offering, I was like, oh yeah, that'll probably be in May. But beginning of April, so incredible. You turned it around so quickly. And then there has to be something I missed. Well, here's how I have it written down. I was taking notes while I was talking. So I have decide, then why, how, what, using the Sondheim rules to create your what, then validate your idea, Mm-hmm. then set the vision and set the directive to create something worth keeping. Mm. Co-create with your team, meaning brainstorm, ideate, whatever that looks like for your team, and then decide again Ooh. because you could be drowning in ideas. So you got to decide. Yes. I love something worth keeping and I love deciding again. Oh, yep. And then you got to explore your business model to figure out what this decision means for how you're actually going to generate revenue, pay people, acquire customers, et cetera. So new business model, new customer acquisition model, create rewards for early adopters. And then we didn't talk about it and I don't think we need to because they're literally my entire podcast is about this all 80 episodes so people can go <laughs> listen to it. Uh, market, create a marketing strategy and marketing meaning identifying a problem and then offering the solution. Yeah. Being empathetic. Mm-hmm. I love it. This is brilliant and super juicy and I can't wait until you have created Pivot with Purpose And we can all learn more about it because if it involves all of this, it's going to be brilliant. Thanks for letting me share it. I I hope that people listening who were previously feeling a sense of peril can at least acknowledge that there's possibility in the air. Absolutely. I mean, again, JWS Online is such a great example of that. It's been such a pleasure to be a part of. And I absolutely think if other businesses apply these ideas to, you know, their pivot that they're being forced to do in this time, that they will definitely come out on the other side better for it. And, you know, it's something worth keeping, as you said. Thanks for having me, Lily. And to your listeners, wherever you are right now, I really am hoping that you are safe above everything else. Hope that you are safe. How incredibly generous is Jen for coming onto TDQ to share this idea with us. I have to admit, when I was editing back this episode, I was in a bit of a dip and feeling a lot of the existential dread that Jen mentioned. 
and hearing her brilliant words again helped me to feel motivated and inspired. This is definitely an episode that you're going to want to listen to over and over, because each time I've listened to it, I've heard things in a new way and gained inspiration in times where I've felt down. As I mentioned before the episode started, as soon as the Pivot with Purpose workshop is ready to be shared with the world, I will be sure to let you all know. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Lily Torre, and this has been The Dreaded Question.